that it'll be that big a deal. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and continue in our series on theology. So it just means studying major teachings of the Bible. We're um, doing it somewhat in a systematic way, um, using a uh, book that's called Systematic Theology. It just attempts to organize uh, Bible teachings into kind of organized systems or or uh, putting it together in, in a more, almost like a college textbook form, I suppose. Um, these are the types of books that uh, young men are um, using when they're training to be pastors. Okay, so we've, uh, we are in, you might say, if I think of it in kind of school textbook form, we're in Unit 1. It's a Unit 1, Chapter 6, or Lesson 6. We're going to look at miracles today. And so we're going to then begin with some definitions of a miracle. Now, I'm going to put you guys on the spot a little bit. Well, if you allow me to. Now, you might say, I'm, I'm not going to give you an answer. That's okay. I'm going, to, I'm going to warn you ahead of time okay, that I'm going to ask you for definitions of a miracle. Like, how would you define a miracle? But I'm going to warn you ahead of time that a lot of ways that we define a miracle aren't really adequate. In, in defining them. They're the, now, I know how, I won't tell you ahead of time because I don't want to plant any thoughts in your mind. I know uh, before I read and, and was studying for this, I thought about, okay, yeah, what's, what's a miracle? And I kind of thought a little bit about how I would define a miracle. And I think it was a little inadequate. There's parts of it. I just, you know, didn't really stop and think, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, once I was reading more and look, looking in the book more, I thought, yeah, you know, my, my definition is a, a a little bit inadequate in a, a particular way, um, maybe uh, maybe incomplete. Um, not wrong. It, it wasn't a wrong definition. It just lacked a few things that would have made it a more complete definition. Now, if you don't want to be told by your Sunday school teacher, oh, sorry, it's a little bit incomplete. You know, this is something there. Um, I, I probably won't, you know, point that out. You know, like. I, you know, single you out, but what you'll see is my first slide, which apparently is not going to be up here yet, um, has some inadequate definitions on it and some different ways. But I thought I'd give you guys a chance to be put on the spot first. How would you define a miracle? Okay. Now, if, if uh, you don't want to be exposed with an inadequate definition, you just... Don't say anything right now. Mark Twain, I've heard attributed to him, uh, saying something like this, better to have people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. So if you just don't want to be, <laughs> if you don't want to open your mouth and be shown that you have an inadequate definition, but you should feel comfortable because I've already confessed I had one too. Um, so there'll be no shame in it. But any, any brave souls out there want to say, ah, here's how I would define a miracle. Okay, something done by divine power. Okay, and was that the end of the sentence? Okay. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay, and I saw a raised hand there. Okay. Okay, all right. 
something physical that, and I'm repeating for the online, something physical that cannot be explained um, except that God did it. Okay, something physical that happened that cannot be explained except had to be God. Okay, so all right, so we have that thought. I'm kind of letting that sink in my own mind. Something physical that cannot be explained except by God. Repeat yours, Crystal. Okay, something done by divine power. Okay, kind of similar in some ways, except by God. So we have divine power. Something physical that cannot be explained except by God. Okay. Jeff, you had a thought. Okay, so. Okay, all right. But depends. I mean, if you had a jetpack on or something like that, then we still could explain it with laws of physics. But I'm kind of guessing you weren't envisioning a jetpack on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jeff added to that definition, cannot be explained by ordinary like laws of nature, physical laws, uh, things like that. Okay, all right. Yeah. I did when I was little, and you know, when we went a whole week without my my mom beating me, that was a miracle. No, I'm just kidding. My mom never did that. Birthday joke for her. So, like, thanks. <laughs> okay, yes. How old was she when the accident happened? My mom's mentioning a, um, her younger younger sister, right? Okay, this is my aunt Kat. Um, so, how old was she when she hit her head and that caused blindness in one eye? Okay, and then how old was she when people finally found out that she had been blind? How old was she when she, How old was she when she said that? Okay. So it was many, many years later. So what aspect of that do you consider to be a miracle when she was blind from like 2 to 10? Yeah, so we might come back to that example later in today's lesson, um, kind of uh, thinking about more about what might constitute a miracle, including thinking a little bit about answers to prayer and whether those qualify or not. Okay, all right. Um, okay, yeah. Is it? Let me just take a quick peek here and just make sure that the cord itself. You know what? I see a looseness there. Could it be? Could it be a looseness to the cable? 
Okay. All right. It's called problem. It's called problem solving, and you start to just kind of eliminate possibilities one by one, and we finally got to the loose cable on the back of the projector possibility, and apparently that's it. So, all right. Well, there you go. And sometimes you wonder, okay, how did that get loosened? But who knows. All right, so apparently now in the classroom, we're going to have, let's see if I can, uh, oh, yeah, okay, so I'll stop pushing on this then, except it made me feel good. Okay. Um, um, actually, can you switch the um, input to extend, you know, the projector input? by the view there. So, um, I had a problem earlier where it didn't want to stick with extend. I don't know why. So, at least I got a connection. Oh, actually, no, okay, so it is extend now. Okay, it finally took it. Okay, success. And let's, uh, okay, so we're on these inadequate definitions. Um, well, my definition, um, I thought, you know, kind of along the lines of what we're thinking when, when God, you know, does something, you know, miraculous, does something um, really, uh, different. Um, I thought of kind of laws of nature when there's something, God does something that you just can't explain through kind of ordinary everyday means that, um, like Jesus walking on water, for example. And, and um, so I, I think, um, you know, our t types of definition, in fact, I'll show you uh, some of these here. Um, a first one, a direct intervention of God in the world. God came and did something he worked in some way, except um, God does that all the time. Um, now, we've already we talked recently about the deist thought that maybe God created the world and then steps back and he doesn't intervene. So I, I'm not sure uh, what sources the uh, book gets these from, so apparently there's some that have defined a miracle that way, um, but points out that that um, kind of is inadequate because God intervenes in the affairs of the world all the time. Uh, through ordinary means. For example, uh, we looked at some of these examples. Uh, God waters the grass and feeds the birds of the field. We wouldn't say, that's miraculous. Look at that bird just ate something. Miracle! No, we wouldn't say miracle. because, But the Bible says that doesn't just happen on its own without God. God is overseeing this. He, um, he is sovereign and he's involved in maintaining his creation as we just looked recently when we looked um, at the providence of God and how he is um, governing his creation. So God is intervening in the, uh, the world all the time and we don't call most of those interventions miracles. So this would be a little bit inadequate because um, it almost assumes like when God does intervene it's something 
it has to be something really unusual. Uh, here's uh, another one in my definition kind of leaned this direction. An exception to a natural law would be one way to word it, or maybe a miracle is God acting contrary to the laws of nature. Now certainly uh, many of the miracles are that way, um, but um, here again, um, not, um, it, it almost separates God from the laws of nature as if God is not interacting with the laws of nature already. He created the laws of nature. Um, the law, it'd almost be as if the laws of nature are inherent in the materials that affect those. For, take, for example, Jesus walking on water. Uh, what causes water to be the way it is? God does. What continues to cause water to be the way it is? God does. What upholds water and causes it to act that way? God does. Like you can't separate the natural, what we understand is kind of the, the natural laws of physics and so forth. You can't really separate that from God and, and say, okay, here's God. Here's the laws of nature. The laws of nature do those things, do the things they do apart from God. And then occasionally God steps in and violates the law <laughs> and causes it to behave differently. I think the inadequacy there, and I don't think it's like, it's not like completely inadequate, but I, I as I started to think about it, I kind of saw, okay, I get the point of why the way I would define a miracle might be inadequate, because I'm thinking, okay, like he comes in and makes things operate differently than they normally would, except he's the one interacting with and, and up upholding and sustaining the laws of nature in the beginning. Um, he might um, uphold and sustain them differently for that miracle, but he's the one making it go that way anyways. The laws of nature are not outside of God, uh, or they weren't just simply created by God and he stepped back and watches them happen and then occasionally intervenes to make it act differently. But he was there all along, sustaining and upholding and keeping all this uh, together. And so that would be the, the inadequacy maybe there. And here, or here would be another way of wording it. An event impossible to explain by natural causes, which is not all that different. And I think all of our definitions are caught of all um, in these realms. Um, but again, an event impossible to explain by those natural causes might have that sense of, separating God from the natural causes. Um, all right, uh, here's the working definition that we'll go with um, on our next slide. Okay. And this might, uh, the, part, the first part of this, when we say less common way, I'm going to come back to that uh, phrase. Um, a less common way of God's working in the world in which he arouses people, people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. Okay. So, uh, this less common way goes back to some of the things that we said, okay, is, is a miracle, uh, why would we say a less common way? It, it acknowledges that God is already acting regularly in what's going on, interacting with his creation, intervening all the time. And so uh, we think of a miracle as, okay, it's not 
the way he normally intervenes. It's not the normal way he's interacting. Um, and so it acknowledges that it's not just when God all of a sudden does, you know, intervenes in some uh, way, but it, the fact that he intervenes is not the miracle, but uh, perhaps when he intervenes in a less uh, common way. Um, all right, and then we see in the definition, a le- so it's a less common way of God's working in the world. Okay, frequently, um, per- perhaps almost all the time, uh, he arouses people's awe and wonder. And so we say it's a miracle because, wow, you know, that was it's amazing. Uh, I'm astonished with that. And um, bears witness to himself, identifies and um, one of the purposes of miracles, which we'll look at um, a little bit later, which is bringing glory to God and bears witness um, to himself. Uh, there's another ask, one of the other purposes that we'll look at that, that also hints at. Okay? So some further thoughts on miracles. Okay, They are often connected with the idea of God's power at work to arouse people's wonder and amazement. Again, we saw that in the definition. Um, but we see in a number of the verses, and we'll look at them, uh, some of them here in a little bit, um, that uh, when we look at the purposes, to arouse people's wonder and amazement, that's often connected with the idea of a miracle. Uh, there are three terms in the Bible that uh, we might associate with the concept of a miracle. Okay, um, the Bible uses the words, oops. Happened. Oh. Okay. okay, there we go. Let me go back. So the three terms are sign, wonder, and mighty work or miracle. Okay? And so a sign, well, basically it points to or indicates something else. Okay? Um, so we say, oh, I wish I just, you know, God would give me a sign to show me what his will is. You know, I got this big decision. Okay? If he would just give me a sign, if he would give me something that pointed to or indicated something else, in this case, what should I do, Lord? Give me a sign. You know, write it in the clouds. Can you give me an audible voice from heaven? Uh, sometimes we long for that, to have that kind of sign. Of course, uh, I think the Lord tends not to do that these days because he's given us his word for clear direction. And so we ought to seek in his word uh, clear direction on, on what we ought to be doing uh, and so forth. Uh, but a sign is sometimes associated with a miracle. Sometimes the miracles we read about in the Bible, they're, they're not called a miracle, but they're called a sign that um, God uses to point to something else. And especially if um, it's pointing to or indicating God's power or something God is doing. And then the word wonder, so sometimes miracles are described as a wonder in the Bible, an event that causes people to be amazed, causes to be full of wonder, or full of awe, or astonished. So the Bible calls miracles, sometimes it's a sign, sometimes it's a wonder, uh, sometimes a miracle, or um, also the word mighty work is used. An act displaying great power, blocked off here, um, especially divine power. All right, so an act displaying great power, especially power of God, and so many of those mighty works, or we could hear that in the term, mighty work, it, great work or power that was done. Okay, so these are words that we'll see come up as we look at uh, some of the uh, verses related uh, to miracles. Um, But I'll just um, 
throw this thought out. I've already hinted at it, but um, we'll bring it back again. But I think it was um, very instructive and helpful to us that we've talked a lot about God himself in these things. Uh, because a lot of this goes back to God himself and who he is, his, his character, his abilities, um, and how he, uh, how he operates. And so up to this point, um, we can see many of the characteristics of God would come into play with miracles. Um, God is a God of power, all power. Om- he has omnipotence. So that obviously would be something we sometimes think about with a miracle, where God just does something that you and I could not do, uh, something very powerful. But God could do that because of his omnipotence. Uh, perhaps his omniscience um, also we would think of because um, he often is doing things that would require knowledge uh, that, you know, it's just, again, miraculous. It goes beyond uh, what we could envision, um, you know, doing as ordinary people. Um, but also, I think the recent lesson on God's providence, which also touches on his sovereignty and how God is interacting and doing these things. And so, um, as we think about um, uh, miracles, we're really thinking about God. Um, if we were to uh, pose the question, do you believe in miracles? And of course, in society, the, the answers to that question would be varied. Um, but for some, I am assuming that the answer would, um, for some would be no, because they don't believe there's a God who can do that. And so really the problem sometimes with believing in miracles is do you actually have any concept of God or is your concept of God um, in line with what God says is true about himself? Um, So when we look into the word of God, God has revealed himself and he's revealed himself as someone who can do the things that we describe as miracles. And so um, if we have the thought, well, you know, if someone were to say, well, you, I believe in God that does miracles, but miracles um, don't happen these days, but it is something that happened in the past, then it would, again, it would probably just reveal uh, certain concepts we have, you know, about God and about how he operates now, and maybe he operated differently in the past. Um, I don't think uh, in hinting at that, thought that we sometimes think about. I don't think that that thought is completely um, off base. I think we do see some things differently in the past than we see now. But the question is, do we ever see miracles now? Or is it just completely something in the past? Well, we'll come back to that and maybe uh, speak of that uh, a little bit more. Uh, But let's go to our next section, um, purpose of the miracles. So, We have five purposes that we're going to look at in this. And um, for those here in the room that can see the slide, this uh, slide shows the first two purposes. Uh, So the first one, um, a major one in the Bible, to authenticate the message of the gospel. And, well, today, does the message of the gospel need to be authenticated? Now, what would be your answer to that? Given people a moment of silence to 
see if everyone has the same answer or everyone had a chance to think about it. Does the message of the gospel today need to be authenticated? Okay. All right. So it's authenticated every time someone gets saved, and you would call that a miracle. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, there's a verse in the Bible that uh, mentions that. Um, see if I, I didn't put that in my notes or anything. Um, well, let me see if I can have it uh, come to me. Um, um, I, I, can, I, I can think of, uh, there's a couple of verses. I can think of the last one I want to reference. The first one um, talks about how in times past uh, people heard, I think this is in either First or Second Peter where this is mentioned, in times past, uh, the word of the Lord came to people by the prophets, but now we have a more sure word of prophecy, speaking of the scriptures. And so, yeah, we have the, we have the Bible. And uh, sometimes when I've thought about that, I, I think, well, what would be more sure? Like, what if I read the Bible and God said, do this? Or what if I heard God speak from the heavens, a voice of God, saying do this which one would be give me greater confidence like wow god just spoke to me there i have great confidence in what was said and so our natural human would probably want to say well well, the voice from heaven except well could a could satan speak from heaven cause a voice to come from heaven could my friend unbeknownst to me hide a speaker out there and act like he was coming from heaven Um, Could I be deceived into thinking that voice from heaven was a voice from God? How would I know it's God's voice? What does God's voice sound like? If I heard my mom speaking, I'd say, oh, that sounds like my mom, but what does God's voice sound like? So we could get fooled, perhaps. Um, The Bible's been confirmed through millennia of confirmations by... You know, in, in some cases by miracles, which is our point here, that miracles um, have uh, given a confirmation of the authenticity of the gospel message, but it's also continued to be confirmed through the lives of Christians and through millennia of the church um, confirming and um, understanding, you know, for example, which books of the Bible are actually books of the Bible versus false books. And so, um, so we come back to this. Um, let's see, I'm trying to remember how I worded the, the question originally. Oh, is the gospel being authenticated? Or did I say it that way? Does it be authenticated here or does it need to be authenticated? Yeah, okay. Now, one view I have on that is I, I think in the heart of someone who doesn't believe the gospel, they might be looking for authentication, much like the people were at this time. Uh, looking for something that says, well, that's true, that, that that's something I should really believe in. In that sense, I think that we still are looking for the gospel to be authenticated today in the hearts and minds of people that maybe are exploring that. Uh, but we do understand from the scriptures, though, that the, the major authentication of the gospel took place before the Bible was written. And so we read that in some, for example... On this one, John uh, 10, um, verse 34. Now, I've copied in my notes here 
uh, many more verses besides, I say verse 34, I should say verse 38. Uh, John 10, 38. But I'll read some verses that lead up to John 10, 38. Uh, starting in John chapter 10, verse 24. Then the, the Jews came round about Jesus and said unto him, How long do you make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, if I paraphrase the next verse, Jesus said, I already told you plainly, you just didn't believe me. Or as it's uh, written here, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Now, that doesn't mean when he was cooking dinner or cleaning the house. Uh, that, oh, haven't you seen me working around the house and, and cooking dinner? And haven't you seen me down at the family um, woodworking shop, uh, seeing me doing my you know work. Um, no, not that. <laughs> Obviously, those aren't you know proof that he is the Messiah, which is really where this is going here. Um, you know what? How should they, you know, accept him as, as it says in verse twenty-five? If you be the Christ, if you're the Anointed One, the Messiah, the Christ, he says, I I've done works. If you if you if you're not going to believe. Um, the, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. They, they testify whether this is true or not. Then it goes on to say in verse 26, But you believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Uh, so, as the Holy Spirit of God works in someone's heart, uh, gives them recognition and understanding that this is really God's voice here speaking. It says, and I will give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Um, and it goes on uh, to say more along those lines in verses 29 and 30. But then in verse 31, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've done many good works here. Again, he's not talking about cooking dinner and cleaning the house. I've done many incredible things that are hard to explain that bring awe and wonder, okay, that, that violate, you know, in a sense, violate those natural laws, even though we've recognized maybe that's not the best way to say it. But in other words, I've done something less common. That's our working definition. I've done things that normally don't happen. There are less common ways that God might intervene and work. Which of those works that I've done are you going to stone me for? Because he had already healed people um, up to this point things that could not be explained normally, sight to some, uh, uh, vision um, being healed, uh, maybe lame people walking. He says, many good works have I showed you, in verse 32, from my Father, okay, that, that would have to come from God. For which of those do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, and says in verse 36, Say ye of him whom the Father sanctified, you're saying of me, that's the him he's talking about, whom the Father has set apart to be the anointed one, he sanctified me and sent me into the world, you say of that person, me, that I'm blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. Of course, blasphemy is, is in some way degrading God's character or taking upon yourself the character of God or attributes um, or something that really should be reserved for God. 
So it could be um, you know, degrading God's character, or it could be also trying to take that for yourself. They're saying, you don't, you don't have that kind of relationship with God. You're not the son of God. You didn't proceed from him. Um, you can't do the things that you talked about. And verse 37, here, uh, here's some of the key thoughts. So Jesus said, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. So this is a one verse in the Bible, not the only one, that supports this idea that it authenticated the message of the gospel. Did Jesus really come from God or was he a false Christ? Was he an antichrist? Was he a, a false messiah? And he's saying, look at what I've done. Okay, explain it some other way. Now, they did try to explain it some other way at one point. Say, so, well, that's the power of Satan there. Um, but that was a ridiculous thought for a number of reasons because what he was doing was working against what Satan wanted to have happen. Um, and also, uh, Satan himself is even limited in his uh, power and ability. I'm thinking back to one, um, I got to kind of assume it was power of Satan involved in it, but when Moses was before Pharaoh and casting the sticks on the ground it, cast a staff on the ground to turn to a snake the magicians were able to duplicate that but there was still an obvious difference between the power of god in uh and what he did through moses and the power of god the magicians because then they had a snake fight and uh, moses's staff won the snake won um, there was still an authentication of who really had uh the backing of a powerful god and who didn't um so that's the first point. Now the second one there, a second purpose of miracles, to bear witness to the fact that the kingdom of God has come and has begun to expand its beneficial results into people's lives. Um, now, I don't know that much about Wayne Grudem, the, uh, the author of the systematic theology book that I have. I know he leans a little bit Calvinist. I don't know if he leans a lot of bit Calvinist. I don't know if he's Presbyterian. Um, I have had enough um, studying in some Presbyterian uh, theology or some Calvinist um, uh, theology to have had a, um, you might say it's covenant theology, or you might call it Reformed theology. When I read this statement, I thought it kind of sounds like it could be worded from that perspective, um, especially from the perspective of a post-millennial view. Um, so pre-millennial view, which, your church is, um, which our church holds to, um, is that Christ is going to come back. Well, we hold a pre-tribulational and pre-millennial view. That Christ will come back before the tribulation. The church will be raptured at the start of the tribulation, which is what the pre-tribulational view refers to. Then you have the tribulation. Then Christ will come back in his second coming at the end of the tribulation, but the beginning of the millennium, thus it's premillennial, when Christ will return, and then it'll establish a thousand-year reign. But a postmillennial view is that Christ will come back at the end of the millennium. And the, the viewpoint, which was popular, um, got pretty popular about 100 years ago. Um, I don't know what its popularity is now. My only personal experience with it is knowing uh, that, um, that there are some Presbyterians that hold to that, but I don't know how widely it is. It would be the idea, in fact, believed by some, that we're actually in the millennium right now. God is going to bring his kingdom and Christianize the world 
during that millennial time, which is going to happen in this life before he comes back. Thus again, post-millennial, he'll come back at the end of the millennium. So I kind of read this and thought, well, okay, you're, you begin to expand its beneficial results into people's lives, the kingdom of God coming in now. now I don't know that that's the way Wayne Grudem meant. So that was a little side note. Uh, those that are post-millennial think that the world's going to increasingly become Christianized and going to increasingly see the kingdom of God being ushered in and the millennial being ushered in and its influence taking a lot of, uh, having a lot of impact and happening. And then, the, then Christ will come back uh, at the end of it. Okay. Well, again, I don't know if Wayne Grudem is post-millennial or if that's what he was hitting at at all. Uh, but side point, let's shove that aside. We do see some uh, verses in the scripture, though, that at least, not post-millennial, but they support kind of the idea that the kingdom of God is at hand and, and its influence has started. Uh, Matthew twelve twenty-eight is the first verse I show there. Uh, Jesus says, but if I cast out devils by the spirit of God, this is that when they accused him of getting his power from Satan. Yeah, but, but if I fight against devils, I'm working against them. You know, house divided against itself can't stand, he said. How can I be, you know, using power of Satan to fight against my, you know, against Satan? But he says, if I do this, then the kingdom of God is come to you. And in the Luke 4, verse 18 passage, he says, uh, it says here, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised. So in other words, it's that aspect that, you know, through the miracles, many times Jesus performed miracles that the purpose of it, at least in part, was to have beneficial results to the people that experienced the miracle. You get to walk, you get to see now, and they experienced healing. So then on our next slide... Oh, we just had a couple people to leave the room. I must have just said something offensive. They're like, that's it, we're up. We're leaving, we're out of here. <laughs> oh, it's about that time. <laughs> it could also be that we're out of time. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Actually, I hadn't looked at that for 20 minutes. Um, so last time I looked, it was 1024. <laughs> okay, that's a good. <laughs> yeah. So let's go over the next three, and we'll go over these a little more quickly. Purpose of miracles to help those who are in need. Uh, very close, to, I guess, in some ways to the last one. And um, I won't read all the verses uh, that I put on the slide uh, here, uh, but in one verse, Matthew 14, 14, it says, Jesus went forth, saw a great multitude, and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And so to help people that are in need, so um, how's that different from the previous one? To kind of usher in the benefits of the kingdom of God is the focus of that. Now, to, to meet the needs or, uh, of individual people, uh, this, the uh, fourth point that we have here, to remove hindrances to people's ministries. Okay, Matthew um, 8, verse 15, which I'm trying to find here. And you know what? I did not get that verse on my sheet somehow. Um, so uh, I won't read that verse to you, but uh, normally maybe I'd look it up, but we don't have time. But... Uh, one example of that, um, I think it's an example that's here in Matthew eight fifteen, was Peter's mother-in-law when she was, um, when he met her physical need, then she was able to minister and serve uh, them. 
And so sometimes it's that. God may want to uh, give the person ability to minister. Therefore, there's a miracle done so that they're able to do that. And then the fifth one here, to bring glory to God. Now, on this particular one, really all the other ones are going to bring glory to God. But this is maybe the overarching purpose of miracles in some way uh, to bring glory to God. And John 9, 3 says that the miracle is performed that the works of God should be manifest in him. Now, if I went beyond this, which we're, um, maybe I'll comment on just a little bit. Do miracles still happen today? So we could say, what if you get answered prayer? Is that a miracle? Um, Well, probably we might be better to say, unless there's something unusual, because God intervenes in everyday life. And so if he intervenes in everyday life, uh, in, non, in ways we wouldn't say as miracles, like he lets the birds eat and the grass grow, and he answers a prayer. This is a um, regular intervention. But say probably when it's an intervention such as there's something there that just brings awe and astonishment. Like we pray for someone to heal from a, a flu, and then they get healed. Um, might, we might be better off not calling that a miracle, even though it's an answer to prayer because it just doesn't have that, um, that awe aspect, like, wow, someone got well again. Uh, we know that's kind of, you know, it's, it's not at that level, but uh, perhaps one like my mom shared with uh, my aunt being blind for eight years and then praying over her and anointing her, and, and she actually was able to see. My, my aunt can still see out of that eye to this day. Um, so does the Lord perform miracles today? Well, he has the ability to still do that. He has the, uh, you know, um, he does not need to authenticate the gospel quite like he's done before, but nothing says that he even still couldn't, in individual instances, still authenticate his power, bring glory to himself, and even authenticate the gospel um, these days. But I would say, generally speaking, these types of things don't need to happen as often because the gospel message has been authenticated. And so when it's authenticating the message of those who he has given a message, the need's not quite there anymore. So the Bible talks about whether there be prophecies, they shall cease. Whether they, there um, be tongues. I might be getting these mixed up. Tongues vanish away. Um, there was these miraculous things that happened at one point to authenticate things. God says, you know, that foretelling of the future, that speaking in tongues, that these were things that were done to authenticate um, a lot of these, and they're going to pass away, they're going to fade um, away because the need for them is not the same. But that doesn't mean God doesn't answer prayer and doesn't maybe do things that sometimes are amazing. Um, So one other example... um, that was given, I forget if it was given here in church or if it was given in our school chapel, but Mike Reddick uh, once, I think it was in our church service, he uh, talked about um, being at a youth rally, I think in India or maybe some other country, and it was going, I forget if it was going to rain or it was a hot, okay, he was losing the attention of the people and, and he, he prayed right there to them, Lord, you know, give us shade, <laughs> send us a cloud, and all, all of a sudden, I don't know if the cloud blew in or if it formed over their head, but it was miraculous. 
um, a, a very unusual causing awe that he audibly said that out loud. It's not like he saw the cloud coming. It's like, oh, pray that it keeps coming. You know, But that God would miraculously do something. Now, I was talking to him later about that and, um, and was asking him, kind of getting a sense, like, is this supposed to happen all the time to Christians? And does it, does it happen all the time to him? And said, so, you know, those type of instances have been very rare in his life. So it's not something that he's doing all the time. But he knew at that moment that clearly the Lord had called them to speak to this group of people. And it wasn't really going to happen well because it was the heat, you said. So he felt compelled at that moment to pray for the Lord to do so because he believed strongly it was the Lord's will for these kids to hear the gospel message and something was preventing that and he knew the Lord's will was for the, the message not to be prevented. So it was an unusual situation of, uh, of uh, asking the Lord to perform something unusual. And I remember him saying, you know, do you think those kids were listening after that? Yeah, they were attentive, like, wow. They, they were in awe over what just took place. And now, in a sense, I guess the, the Lord brought, was, brought glory and in a sense, the message was authenticated. So they were listening a lot uh, to that. And many of them got saved, I think a couple hundred. Um, I'd like to almost get, I've thought about this actually on and off. I'd almost like to interview Mike Reddick and get this on record and hear what he has to say and, you know, and be able to retell that in some way. So I don't know. I, I thought about contacting him and seeing if we can get that, um, you know, have him tell that again and, and where I could share it over and over. All right, well, we're past time. I need to let us go. So um, let's pray. Dear God, we ask your blessing now as we prepare for the morning worship service. We pray this in Jesus' name.